Okay, so what are some things that you trust in life? Yeah. Yes. And as a bus driver, for both of you, that you have an amazing trust that parents and children put in you every single day. Thank you for being worthy of that. What else do you trust? Yeah, Amy. That's right. That you'll still have a job. Not always a guaranteed thing. What else? Yeah. Trust your husband. Amen. That's a good thing. What else? Who else do you trust? Trust in God, of course. Yeah. You trust your family. That's good. We're trusting that our refrigerators and freezers are going to keep on working while we're here and that all our food won't go bad. You know, have you ever come back from vacation and found that the power had gone out and then you have a whole lot of things you don't know what to do with? You got to throw them away because they're not good. She trusts that the water's going to come out when she gets in the shower. That's right. So there are all sorts of things that we trust in life. We're trusting right now that the roof is not going to collapse on us. You know, it was built a long time ago. <laughs> Some of you are now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We trust with so many shootings um, that we're going to be safe here today. So, so many things that we trust. Uh, today in our story, we're going to be showing trust and also lack of trust. And if you're like me, I think you'll see a lot of yourself in the story. As we mentioned, a lot of the stories that we study in this passage, uh, in our sermon through um, kind of the middle monarchy, a lot of the stories aren't particularly happy, although this... This one has a lot of happy moments in it, but then it has some unhappy moments as well. You know, the phrase, in God we trust, has been used for a long time in our country, and it's actually, I was surprised to learn, the official motto of the United States. It was adopted in 1957, uh, but it's been on uh, coins as early as 1864. But officially, it was voted in, in 57, and it's been on coins ever since then. So it's a common thing to say, oh yeah, I trust God. It's on all of our coins, except in 2007, there were some dollar coins that were accidentally made without that phrase. It stirred up a lot of people, but it was just an accident. So it's common for us to say, oh yeah, we trust God. Our nation trusts God. I trust God. But what does that look like in your daily decisions? Does that play out in the choices you're making from day to day? Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 14 because we want to study the life of Asa, somebody who at times trusted God and at other times trusted in himself. Asa was the son of Abijah, who was the son of Rehoboam. We skipped over Abijah. He only reigned for three years, and in 1 Kings it tells us that he was bad. Um, although in Chronicles, there are some good things that it says that he did, but he had a very short reign. 
But today's king, Asa, he had a very long reign. 41 years was his reign, if I remember correctly. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and we want to start in verse 1. Are you there? Say amen. amen. And Abijah rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And Asa his son succeeded him as king. And in the days the country was at peace for how many years? Ten years. So things start off good. He has a decade of peace in his reign. And verse 2 describes him from the very beginning. It says, And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. That's a refreshing start to a story, right? He removed the foreign altars and the high places and smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. You see, as we discussed last week and in previous weeks, there were other idols set up, other altars in place. Um, sometimes the high places were dedicated to God, and sometimes they were dedicated to other foreign gods. You see, before the temple was built, people were worshiping God um, in these high places. And it wasn't necessarily a sinful thing. There was no center for established worship at that point. So some of these were carried over from that, and some of them were dedicated, as you see, to the goddess Asherah. She was a symbol of fertility, one of the Canaanite goddesses. And so Asa, knowing that these things were wrong, trusting in God, said, we can't have multiple focuses of worship. We need to have one focus on our one God in the one place he has dedicated for us to worship. And so he removes all these things. Verse 5, he removed the high places and the incense altars in every town of Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. So Asa, from the very beginning, is doing a work of reform. He's sweeping out all of the rubbish, of the spiritual idolatry, and he's focusing in on God. He's a spiritual leader. Verse 6, he built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during these years, for the Lord gave him rest. Not only was he a spiritual guy, he was also a man who took initiative. He was a proactive leader. It's not a lack of trust to, um, to cooperate with God's will, as it were. What he's doing is, in times of peace, he's building up his cities, making them stronger. So in the event of an attack, he will be better prepared. I remember when I was young, I was a teenager, and some guy approached me at this, this meeting I was at, and he was talking to me over lunch, and he was trying to tell me that it was a sin to have health insurance. It was a lack of trust in God. And he was trying to say, if you just would trust God, you don't need to have these things. And if you get it, then you're saying you don't trust God. That just didn't sit quite right with me. I said to him, you know, when I go ride a bicycle, I put a helmet on. Not because I don't have faith, but in the event of an accident, I want to be smart about it. I want to be protected and safe. And he had a response for that too. Uh, but it's not a sin to have certain um, practical measures in place in your life. And Asa realized this also. He knew that war 
happens, and so he wanted to be prepared. He wanted to be ready for it. So he built up the fortified cities. God gave him rest. Verse 7, Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. Asa was a spiritual leader, Asa was a proactive leader, and Asa was praising God. He recognized that the good things in his life had come from God. He was putting his trust in God, saying, hey, we're having a good time now as a nation, and it's because of Jesus, well, not Jesus, it's because of God, getting ahead of myself, right? It's because of the Lord our God that we are doing well. But then, Eventually, something bad happened. Look at verse 9. Zerah the Cushite marched against them with a vast army, some Bibles say, with a million people. It's either in the Hebrew a thousand times a thousand or thousands upon thousands. In any case, it's a massive, massive army. And he's got a, a 300 chariots as well. So Asa goes out to meet him, verse 10, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah near Merashah. Verse 11, what's Asa's response? Trust in God. Verse 11, then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is none like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Now Asa wasn't exactly powerless here. If you look at verse 6, somebody tell me there how many fighting men. How many people from the army did Asa have? It requires a little bit of math, right? Because there was, he had 300,000 and then plus 280,000. So that's 580,000 people. But yet he's coming to God and he's saying, God, we're powerless. We're powerless. He was putting his trust in God. He was humbly saying, God, it's you. It's not us. And verse 12 and 13 describes how God went on to give him a powerful victory. In spite of of an army of maybe a million people, God gave Asa and the people of Judah victory. Verse 13, towards the end, it says that they carried off a large amount of plunder. They were able to accumulate a lot of wealth for their nation because of what God had done. Then we get to chapter 15. On the way back from this victory that God had given him, God sent a prophet, a messenger, to just give some words of encouragement to Asa. Verse 1 says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa, and he said to them, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you were with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He wanted to remind them in that moment, God's with you right now, but don't count on God being with you all the time if you don't continue to stick with him. Don't just assume that the things that are going good now are going to continue to go good if you lose your trust, your reliance upon God. I don't know about you, but in my own life, I found I'm most vulnerable to falling down spiritually when things are going well, right? 
things are going good in my life. It's easy to not feel your need to pray or to read your Bible. Think about Elijah. He just had his Mount Carmel experience. He had seen God work in a powerful way. Fire came down from heaven. He killed the prophets of Baal. He ran down Mount Carmel in front of the chariot. He, he just was Superman for God that day. And then what did he do after that? Jezebel said, hey, I'm going to kill you, man. And he ran. And he lost an opportunity to do more powerful things for God. After a big spiritual moment, he came down and he crashed spiritually. So the prophet perhaps is sent to remind the people, hey, things are good now, but it's because of God. But you need to stick with God. Notice here it says, if you seek God, he'll be found by you. If you really want to seek God, he wants to be found by you. He really does. And if you don't want God in your life, he'll give you that also. You know, ultimately, God gives us what we want. If we want him, he gives us him. And if we don't want him, he respects that. And he doesn't force himself into our lives, and he gives us what we want. You know, we've said it multiple times, the people who will be in heaven will be the ones who will be happy there. The people who truly want to be there. There's people who think they want to be there, but their heart's deepest desires are actually saying, you know what, I love sin too much that I'll be lonely in heaven if my sin isn't there. And so God gives them what they want. And he doesn't permit people who wouldn't truly be happy in heaven to be there. It's, it's tragic when our desires are not for the things that ultimately will make us the most happy, but God respects the freedom of all. If you seek me, I'll, you'll find me. If you forsake me, you can have that also. I won't force myself on you. The prophet continues in verse 3, For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. The priests were not there simply to do the sacrifices. They also were there to teach. Teaching priests. But in their distress, verse 4, when they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. The prophets reminding them of the pattern of how things went. We skip on down to verse 8. When Asa heard the words of the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. He heard that and he said, yes, this is good. This is what we need. And he begins another work of reform. Look at, um, continuing on in verse 8, it says, He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the, hill, in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. So there was a, another opportunity for him to smash down and break down idols. You know, just because you remove something doesn't mean that it doesn't come back. Time passes, people build things back up again, right? You've seen this in your yard. Just because you pull weeds one day doesn't mean that you don't have to pull them again, right? <laughs> we know that all too well here at the church. 
Got some more weeds to pull again, right? Which anybody's welcome to, to do. <laughs> you want to serve? You can do that. Uh, anytime you want. Please. So he continues to not only smash down, but he builds up. The altar of God was in disrepair. It needed to be rebuilt. So he did that. And then he gets everybody together in verse 9. They assembled Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who'd settled among them. Notice why. For large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw the Lord his God was with him. You know, when people see that God's doing something somewhere, it's attractive to them. And when people see God working in your life, they're going to have that same desire they say, hey, something is happening in your life, and I want that. I need that in my life. People moved down to the southern nation because they could tell that God was alive and well and working there. Don't you want that about your life, your family, about this church? Don't you want people to want to be here, want to be with you just because of what God is doing? That's what I want. So they all assembled together. And they, they had a massive sacrifice to the Lord, probably from uh, some of the spoils of war that they had gathered. Verse 12, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and all their soul. They said, we are going to be a nation who seeks God 100%. We want everybody to seek him. Verse 15, all Judah rejoiced about the oath they had sworn, and they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them, so the Lord gave them rest on every side. Asa is trusting in God. The people are trusting in God. They're saying, we want to serve God and not these foreign idols. We want to be a nation whose God is the Lord. And then Asa goes to the next level. Perhaps the hardest thing to do came in verse 16. King Asa also deposed his grandmother. Deposed means he took her out of her position. She was in a special exalted position because she was the grandma. But you know what? She was a grandma who was leading the nation in the wrong ways. What does it say? because she had made a repulsive Asherah pole. She had set up this big, extra disgusting, in the eyes of God, idol. This Canaanite fertility symbol. She'd put it up there, and Asa, even though she was his grandmother, he said, Grandma, you can't, you can't do this anymore. I don't know what he said, or what he did, or where she went. But she lost her position, she lost her influence, and she lost her idol. You know, sometimes it's hard dealing with family members. Um, you know what I'm saying? Maybe you live in a home where there's a split focus. You're wanting to serve God, and, and others are not quite there yet. And that's a challenge. And I... I think God works in different ways in different times, and sometimes the, the passive approach is what he calls us to, and sometimes the active approach is what he calls us to. And it takes a lot of wisdom from the Holy Spirit to know when we should do that. But Asa knew the time had come for grandma's 
sacred idol to be destroyed, and he burned it, broke it up, burned it, and he put it in the Kidron Valley. Then we get to verse 17. It says, although he did not remove the high places from Israel, probably referring to the northern areas that he had conquered. Although he didn't, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of God silver and gold and the articles that he, his father, had dedicated. So apparently there were still some high places, perhaps in new territory that he conquered, or high places that had popped up again that he didn't uh, smash back down again. But the author still affirms that Asa had good intentions. Um, and his desire was to be dedicated. But this dedication will be tested in chapter 16. Verse 19 of, the, of chapter 15 says, There was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So he had a long period of peace. But then look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 16. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. So this is a border city um, between the northern border of the southern kingdom and the southern border of the northern kingdom. And he's fortifying this place to make it so that nobody can come in or out of the northern uh, territory or the southern territory without their permission. This is kind of an act uh, leading up to, uh, these, these are fighting words, in other words, uh, fighting actions. And Asa realizes this is probably leading to war. This is not a good thing. And here's where he starts to put his trust elsewhere. Look at verse 2. Asa took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple. Whose temple? The Lord's temple. So whose, whose money is it? It's the Lord's money, right? This would be like if I, and thank God I don't even have access necessarily, but if I or, or a pastor were to take the church's money to pay off a house or something, right? Wouldn't that be a horrible thing to do? That happens and people get arrested for it. Uh, that's why we have good auditing departments at the conference. Uh, make sure we have to have every receipt in line so that there, there's no room for any sort of wrongdoing. Amen? Amen. But, but that's what Ace is doing, essentially. He's saying, oh, we have a problem. I think I can bribe this other king. And where am I going to get some money? Ah, God's money, right? He's starting to put his trust in his own wisdom, in his own resources. And we don't see him asking God if it was okay. Like, hey God, could I borrow this? Pay it back with interest? Doesn't say that. So he sent it out to Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. And he said, let there be a treaty between me and you. He said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Basically, he was bribing the king. He said, hey, I know that you've got an agreement with the northern Israelites, but look at all this money I'm sending you. I'd really like you to actually make an agreement with me. 
So he's stealing God's money, he's bribing this king, and nowhere in the story do we see him seeking out God's wisdom. Um, and, you know, previously with the Lord, he conquered a million men. Now we've got a smaller situation, and it's almost like he feels, hey, I can handle this one, God. This one's small enough, I got it. I know, I know what to do. In my own life, it's easy, you know, with these big things. Okay, my dad's dying of cancer. What other choice do I have but to trust in God? Okay, God, we got to trust you. What other choice do we have? But in the smaller things, it's okay, God, I got it. I got this one. Getting up today, Lord, it's probably going to be an easy day. I got it. I'll let you focus on other people. For today, I got you. This decision, it's just a small decision. It doesn't really matter, God. I've got wisdom. I'm going to make this choice today. You know, in every choice, in every decision, we can go to God. He has infinite wisdom. He wants to give it to us. In blank, we trust. Who are we trusting? In the small choices throughout our day when we don't feel the need to pray, we're saying, I trust myself. I can take care of it. I can handle it. Now, God gives us wisdom, and he wants us to use that wisdom, but it's always, he wants us to have this connection with him throughout the day, because sometimes God calls us to do things that go contrary to what seems to make sense. Have you had that happen to you before? My dad was leaving our driveway one day. He felt impressed to turn right. Well, you can't turn right. It's a dead-end street. The only way out of our neighborhood is by going left. But something said turn right. So he turns right. It feels kind of silly driving down towards the the end of the cul-de-sac just to turn around again. And he sees a neighbor of ours out working on the lawn. And he realizes, ah, okay, I need to go talk to him. So he gets out of the car and talks to this guy. And the guy says, you ever just feel like ending it all? Feel like... Life is just not worth living anymore. God had a divine appointment because he was willing to listen and trust God with even the smallest of decision, which is a non-decision on every other morning. In this moment, Asa said, you know what, I can take care of this. I choose to go my own way. And, and it worked, at least in the sense that he didn't have war with the northern tribes, and things kind of worked out. But then verse 7 comes along, because God had a message. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied upon Aram, king of Aram, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. So he felt like he did a good thing 
by avoiding war with his cousins to the north. But God was saying, hey, you could have had victory over the king of Aram also. I had bigger plans for you, and you messed it up by trusting yourself. Verse 8, were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth or run to and fro across the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He reminded him, you trusted in God with a bigger army. And God is constantly searching the earth looking for people that he can help. God longs to help us. He longs to forgive us. He longs to be our source of strength and support. How many times in our week do we rely on our own wisdom and strength to try and get through our difficulties? And God, his eyes have been searching through the the situations of our life, wishing that we will look up to him so that he can give us the wisdom that we need. Give us the guidance that we need. His eyes are roaming the earth. He's just searching because that's what he longs to do, to help us. And it's not always that he's going to help us conquer our enemies and have no difficulties in life. Sometimes it's just he longs to help us through our challenges and be there as a source of comfort in our times of grief and loss and difficulty. But he's constantly longing to help us longing for us to trust in him. And the prophet concludes verse 9 by saying, you have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you'll be at war. Asa didn't like that. What does it say in verse 10? He was angry with his seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. And at that time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. So he gets a message from God Perhaps he feels convicted by it, perhaps not. But in any case, he doesn't like it. And he sends the the seer, sends the prophet to prison, and then he starts oppressing people. Perhaps people who were sympathetic to what the prophet had to say. But it's a sad twist in the story, because here was a king who had gone through a couple of reforms. He'd seen mighty victories because of God, trusting in God, and now he starts to put his trust in himself, and when somebody tries to call him out on it, he doesn't like it. He gets offended. He becomes stubborn, and he says, I don't want to have anything to do with what that guy has to say. It's easy to get offended. But how we respond to it um, is, is so essential. You know, it's natural in a church with this many people that there will be people that offend you, situations that offend you. And, and a lot of times, the person who's offending doesn't even realize it. And we should never offend people intentionally, and we should try to avoid offending people intentionally, uh, unintentionally, but there's also a responsibility on the person who, who is offended. Because what we're seeing here with Asa is that because of how he responded, he's going to miss out on all these blessings and opportunities for growth. 
As a church, we have a responsibility to seek out those whom we've offended, people in our family, in the, in the greater uh, Modesto area, those kinds of people. We have a responsibility to seek out and try and ask for forgiveness for what we've done wrong. But there's also a responsibility on we who've been hurt at times to trust in God to bring justice, even if justice doesn't happen now. And to not let ourselves become hardened and withdrawn so that we miss out on the future blessings that God wants us to have. This is what we see happening with Asa. He gets angry. He doesn't like the message, so he puts the guy in prison. And then he starts beating up on other people. A lot of times the people who are abusive to others have themselves been abused. Or they do, they do it to try and make themselves feel better. And there's a lot we could say on that subject. But notice the, the closing verses as we wrap up our story. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book, verse 11, of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And though the disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. This is really odd. He gets something with his feet. A lot of people have suggested gout, but I, as I was reading, it was suggested that that wasn't as much of an issue in that part of the world. Probably uh, his arteries and stuff got so clogged up um, that he got gangrene or, or something like that. It was probably very painful and very debilitating for him in the last two years. But he chose not to trust in God. Now, now, please don't misunderstand here. Doctors are good, and we should go to doctors, right? But we realize that God is the greatest healer. And God works through doctors to provide good healing remedies. Obviously, we want to have good doctors, ones that we can truly trust. But Asa, he got stubborn towards the end. He got offended. He got withdrawn. And even in his pain and his misery, he said, no, I'm not going to pray about this. No, bring me my doctor. And Asa had ceased, at least by outward appearances, had ceased trusting in the God that he'd put so much trust in for the majority of his life. Verse 13, then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David, and they laid him on the bier covered with spices and various blended perfumes, and they made a huge fire in his honor. You know, throughout the rest of history, Asa will be remembered for the very good things that he did. Um, the majority of his influence was directed at abolishing idolatry and focusing people on God. But as I read the end of his life, I just, it brings pain to my heart because it seems like he, he lost his hold on God at the end. Now, I don't know. I, I hope that his heart ended in a, in a good place and we'll see him in the kingdom. But I don't want this to be the story of my life, right? I want to finish 
trusting in Jesus. How about you? I don't want to feel like I, I have it all figured out and start relying upon my own self. I mean, it's a struggle that I have every day. But I want to keep on coming back to the Lord. When I slip up and I trust in myself, I want to I get back on my knees. I want to get back with God. Because I want my story to end differently. Back in 1996, many of you will recall the great disaster that happened on Mount Everest. Eight people died in a storm um, between March 10 and March 11. A number of books have been written about it. Uh, various films have been made. Um, my dad had the opportunity to meet somebody who, who knew Scott Fisher, one of the men who died, one of the expedition leaders. And Scott was from uh, the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. And before he was heading out on his trip, his secretary said to him, Scott, be careful. And he turned to her and he said, I'm always in control. And in that moment, his secretary realized he's going to die. How is it in your own heart? Do you feel like you're always in control? Do you feel like, yeah, I, I know these sins shouldn't be there, but, but I can stop anytime I want to? Or, God, I, I got this. That's the feeling that Asa had towards the end of his life. But it resulted in just a sad end to a story that could have been so different. Scott Fisher, as, as you know, as I mentioned, died uh, that year on Mount Everest. Felt like he was in control, but he wasn't. The only way to be safe in life is to realize how unsafe we are trusting in our own heart. In blank, we trust. Who will you trust this day, this week? The small choices that you make determine the answer to that question. And I'm so thankful that we have a God who is so forgiving and so loving that even when we mess up a thousand times in a day, He is always willing to take us back and to sustain us and to teach us how better we can trust Him tomorrow. Do you want to trust Him? Let's pray. Dear God, Thank you for having authors of the Bible to record things honestly, to not just sugarcoat things and make it seem like life is always perfect. Well, we realize it's not, but today we realize it's better to trust you. You've given us wisdom and you've given us skills and talents and, and we employ those for your service. But Lord, help us always to stay connected and to keep on checking, in, checking back in with you to make sure that we're staying on your path. And Lord, you're the one who's going to empower us to do that because it's impossible on our own. So thank you for giving us that power through Jesus. And we pray it all in his name. Amen. Happy Sabbath and trust in God.